Welcome to What That Means with Camille, companion episodes to the In Technology podcast. In this series, Camille asks top technical experts to explain, in plain English, commonly used terms in their field, then dives deeper, giving you insights into the hottest topics and arguments they face. Get the definition directly from those who are defining it. Now, here is Camille Moorhart. Looking forward to a conversation today with the head of Sovereign Cloud from Accenture in Europe, Mauro Capo. And I'm going to co-host this episode with my colleague at Intel who works in confidential computing. His name is Paul O'Neill, and he's joining us from Ireland. Pleasure as always, Camille. I'd like to ask Mauro to define Sovereign Cloud. But before we do that, Paul, could you Give us a framework or a baseline to even start contemplating this topic. So the sovereign cloud really isn't kind of a new concept. It's been around in the cloud industry, I guess, for a few years now, but it's gained renewed importance in the last couple of years for a couple of key reasons. And they're kind of important reasons for the listeners, right? The first is that there's a growing recognition that when we use hyperscale public clouds like AWS or Azure, all of your data may not necessarily sort of remain on sovereign soil, right, in the country which it was generated. The hyperscalers make a really important distinction between customer data versus metadata or your account information. And if you read privacy statements, et cetera, they reserve sort of the right to store that metadata in any location, including in the United States. So that really kind of causes a bit of a yellow flag for many of the data privacy officers. Marrow mentioned compliance. This is the real tailwind for a sovereign cloud. The second piece that we see a lot of, or another change, if you will, that we've seen in the industry is the idea of uh, foreign access to that critical data. So for example, in 2018, the United States brought in legislation called the U.S. Cloud Act. And the U.S. Cloud Act basically says that U.S. authorities can assert jurisdictional control over data from any cloud provider that subject to U.S. jurisdiction. So that means that U.S. courts, U.S. law enforcement, or U.S. security agencies can now potentially assert authority over data that sits in any cloud region in the world. So that's a big concern for those who are generating data here in Europe. It's a critical dimension. And the third thing I think that we see a lot of, which is very important for us Europeans here, we see Angela Merkel talk about it a lot, uh, Emmanuel Macron talk about the concept of the digital dependency on the U.S., digital dependency on U.S. operators, and the need to really fuel economic growth within the European Union to drive sort of digital innovation. And the fourth thing, I think, is how we bring this all together. What we're starting to see is more of a desire to deliver sort of uh, social value back into our local communities and back into local economies. So for example, here in Ireland, you could take Irish car registrations, for instance, and on the surface, you know, this data has a lot of value around people movement, automotive spend, carbon output and the like. But if this information is really exploited to its potential through machine learning tools, it can afford a huge amount of decision making in both the public and private sectors, if you will. And that's kind of the point around sovereignty, right? It's the desire to create value from baseline data that flows back to the people for whom it will provide the most benefit. And so from the Intel perspective, they're the real drivers that have put a spotlight on the renewed importance of sovereign cloud. Welcome to the podcast, Mauro. Thank you for having me today. 
Sovereign Cloud, Mauro, can you give us a brief explanation of what it is? Typically, uh, it depends on the way organization and public administration look to their challenges in protecting data, getting as much as possible control on how data are managed, how people operate data to deliver digital services. So it's mostly in the eye of the beholder. We tend to think that to sovereignty into big classes uh, that refer to data sovereignty. So exactly how data are stored, how data are managed, how data are uh, protected, and how data compute. Then there is the big box of operational sovereignty. So the people that manage data and application services, in which nationality they have, what are the processes that they have to follow to manage uh, digital services, and finally, the software and application sovereignty. So who's writing the code? Which level of transparency do we have on the algorithms? So all these challenges, all these dimensions goes under the big head of sovereignty. Sovereign Cloud is the set of solutions that enables to gain uh, some form of sovereignty in these classes. So it's not one single solution. It's not one single provider. It's a combination of technology solutions and processes to achieve those challenges, which at the end means finding a right balance between getting the right compliance and right trust on the diverse platform you're, you're using and, and being able to get as much as possible compliant to the regulation you have to be following and getting also, at the same time, access to the best innovation possible. You know, Mauro and the team and, and Accenture are working on a lot of different types of projects that are taking data within country to drive back those benefits. Yeah, Mauro, can you give us some examples of customers, what they're interested in, what they're looking for? The COVID pandemic showed us how important to deliver digital services at scale, at fast. And at the same time, we have seen clients that are pushed by national policies and guidelines and laws in some cases to act. So those kind of clients, we, we were cautious of, of adopting the cloud because they felt that the platform they were able to adopt uh, at the point of time was not considerable trusted. Now they have the options and they are moving into the adoption phase. Some others are getting into the sovereignty discussion as industry champions. So they are leading an ecosystem. They consider themselves owners of an important uh, set of data that can be shared with the rest of the ecosystem. Take, for example, the, the energy companies. No? Energy companies are basically living in an ecosystem where we have producers, distributors, and, and retailers of energy. And everybody knows how much energy could benefit from either integration the energy flows through a deeper integration of digital services and data. But that's exactly a, good, a very good example of what a distributed data architecture could deliver in terms of benefits. Healthcare system is another classical example on how moving uh, insights without moving data, maybe, can help deliver additional value to the constituency because it gives you trends, it gives you understanding on, on how the clinic trends are evolving, and so on. Uh, at Accenture, we also interact with another kind of clients that is emerging in, uh, in Europe, which are the clients that are presenting themselves to the market as potential providers for sovereign cloud services. So when we think to cloud providers, we tend to think to hyperscalers, basically. But in reality, sovereign cloud providers will be multi-cloud type of providers, integrated services delivered from their own uh, 
data centers, but also integrating and embedding solutions and services coming from hyperscaler sensors. So we see those providers acting as frontliners to the market, integrating services coming from multiple supplies, and reinforcing this value proposition through sovereign cloud technologies or operational countermeasures or organizational structures that doesn't exist, doesn't exist anywhere in the world, right? in reality. It's now forming in Europe. Yeah, and, and I think given that environment that these organizations have to work in now, it's really forcing new thinking about data sovereignty should or could be implemented. I, I see kind of three ways, right? Organizations are now considering building on-prem sovereign solutions, right, to protect it within the walls and the jurisdiction that it was created in. But even complex privacy laws may need to drive the, the need to protect that data where it's protected and being used for the purposes for which it was collected. And that's a very important point, right? Here in Europe, you really got to understand what that data was collected for. And I think the second thing then is organizations can also turn to their regional cloud providers for help. Over here, we've done a lot of work with Deutsche Telekom, for example, who are building cloud services in country. Maro mentioned healthcare. You can look at Open Sovereign Cloud from Deutsche Telekom. And that can help overcome the challenges of knowing which legislation in their data at any point in time. Because as Marrow said, we've got GDPR, we've got all the other things, but it's also nuanced in each European country. There's a little layer of nuance there. But the third is, is really important. The US cloud providers have a really important role to play. They're looking to fight back by introducing sovereign controls, using some Intel technologies uh, in there that allow customers to assert better controls over how their data is handled in the public cloud. So, uh, you know, Microsoft has launched its sovereign controls and they're taking this very seriously. And that's very encouraging for the European customer base. Yeah. And, uh, and also, let me say that uh, Europe is like an open lab in this moment uh, around sovereignty because while uh, the market shaping by the institutional stakeholders was pushing uh, the market from the top, you know, in like imposing rules, imposing some requirements on uh, locations, requirements on operational personnel, for example, and so on and so forth. The technology provided from the bottom up, like uh, Paul was mentioning, like Microsoft for Sovereignty, Google GDCH Solutions, AWS Pledge for Sovereignty, including Intel, they were preparing and uh, putting on the market solutions that are really getting off-the-shelf services more and more compliant to the regulation. So more and more, they are closing the gap very fast. So we have seen in 12, 18 months, the two sides of the market getting closer and closer in order to get to a, a set of solutions that the clients really can adopt with trust and with satisfaction, not because they get performance and innovation. I want to explore that just a little bit more because I think that's a an interesting push and pull that you're saying with policy, regulation, law, et cetera, at one end and technology at the other end. And I, I'm hoping that you guys can just take a moment and explain, I think we all get the regulation side of it, but on the technology side, how could technology potentially alleviate the requirement for literal physical presence in one location, you know, within one physical border versus another physical border or within on-prem versus within a public cloud and still retain sovereignty. And I understand that regulations or policies may not recognize that yet, but I, I want to know what options there are from a technology perspective. Take again, healthcare. Or if you think to 
defensive public safety data. Today, there's a lot of fuss around uh, generative AI and artificial intelligence. The example that I think is better fit uh, for this discussion is confidential computing. Because confidential computing is taking this bias uh, of uh, having your, your data in an uh, accessible and vulnerable segment of the, the IT infrastructure, and it's enabling to protect the data, not only when they are at rest in a storage, not only when they move from one side to the other, so at motion, but also during the computing processing, which means that all the life cycle of the data is covered through a strong protection and a strong encryption. Together with Intel, uh, we have done uh, several testing of this technology in order to confirm that it actually reduces completely the uh, attacks faced by malicious operators and also enables collaboration on, on a data-driven business model between data providers and data owners that do not have any, any kind of trust with each other. It's a very good example because it's also help us move the bar of the regulations that define which kind of data can be operated in cloud services into the space of strategic and critical data. And that's technology. It's not politics, it's technology. Yeah, I think you called it out perfectly. You know, while sort of utilizing any cloud service from on-prem cloud to local clouds to hyperscalers, that level of trust is required in those providers. And I think confidential computing is probably the most uh, applicable technology to drive that trust. As you said, encryption is often seen as the answer to achieving that level of trust, but we need technologies to work with encrypted data, to combine encrypted data, to run confidential AI, et cetera, et cetera. And some of the work that we've done together is really to bring confidential computing into national clouds, as I said earlier on, even on-prem clouds, but more importantly, in the hyperscalers and some of the work that's going on at Azure, for example, around their sovereign cloud infrastructures that are rolling out in Europe is really all based on confidential computing. But there are other important aspects to that as well. We have the role of attestation inside of confidential computing where data privacy officers or compliance officers can understand the process by which trust is asserted into the cloud, right? So where their data sets were accessed, at what cloud, at what time, et cetera. So for, for me, confidential computing and the sovereign cloud seem to be a good match of how we can bring technology together to solve real-life problems. We also see, see things like modern frameworks for machine learning, like TensorFlow, et cetera, being used in a confidential way with sovereign clouds. Ourselves at Accenture, for example, also worked with Proximus in Belgium, where you know they are able to define sovereign landing zones on Azure, which fit into what they need from a sovereignty perspective. So a certain data set, a certain sensitivity with an automated container-based framework can land in the right area at the right time. Well, We've only started this journey now, right? We've got a lot of work to and do. And with new technologies, also new roles for, uh, for players like ourselves or Intel, this is a new market at the end. Yeah. This is one of the few cases that I've been uh, witnessing of actual reaction from the technology world to a politic uh, vision mm-hmm. and a politic guidelines. Typically, politics follow-ups, not politics that tend to rule what the market is, uh, is presenting. Yeah. In this case, I think that uh, we've seen uh, a political uh, push and vision that has been uh, forcing a bit technology players to react. Uh, yeah, I had a 
an interview with a representative from Maori and Indigenous Australian groups a while ago. We talked specifically about Indigenous data sovereignty. And so that was kind of, from their perspective, like a subset or a group of people that were interested in you know, preserving the insights or gaining, like you were saying earlier, Mauro, gaining access to the insights that were derived from data that was collected on their own group, you know, self-defined group. And I'm just wondering if you guys can talk a little bit about how this data sovereignty affects actual individuals. Is this affecting them? Should they be thinking about it? Should we as individuals be thinking about it? It's affecting them because it's, it's felt the good of the constituency that uh, this was put in motion. There is an underlying uh, value that is the protection of fundamental rights of everybody. No? So being safe about your privacy and your personal data, being confident that the permission that you have uh, granted to a service provider uh, in the digital world is correctly used, being aware that your data will be used for the general good of the community rather than for malicious uh, intent. And if I have my government thinking on how to improve my healthcare system, or if my financial system is more resilient to macroeconomic crisis, well, I feel more confident than my country is looking for me. Sovereignty goes in this direction because it gives back control and value to the actual owner. I produce my data. I should be benefiting from the uh, value and the properties that this data can deliver. We live in a digitalized world, and every business is a digital business. Every company is a digital company. Every administration now is a digital administration. Can you both just sort of summarize if somebody is now interested in pursuing or better understanding some of these very complex details around Sovereign Cloud, what is their next step? Data is becoming super important for the modern economy, no matter where in the world you're, you're based, right? And we also see that security and privacy expectations are increasing amongst companies, regulators, consumers alike, right? So uh, as Maro said, we need to make sure that data is collected for a certain purpose and not used for different purposes. But I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all for the sovereignty puzzle. It's likely to be a, a hybrid or a multi-cloud approach where organizations can choose from all of the sovereign cloud options we've discussed here for particular workloads that they're considering, right? So I think organizations should choose their strategy carefully when considering which approach suits which workload. For me, it's clear that sovereign clouds need technologies like confidence computing or, or privacy enhancing technologies, if you will, if they're to achieve the goal of data sharing within a single jurisdiction or, or regulated organization. Encryption of data is now the norm, and building privacy, confidentiality, and especially integrity-based solutions into a, either a hybrid or a multi-cloud sovereign architecture from day one will make the evolving complexity of data sovereignty easier to navigate for customers and operators alike down the line. I think, Mauro, from an Accenture perspective, how would you view next steps for potential clients for you here? Our proposition to, to enterprises, to clients, is uh, join us in our center of excellence uh, that we have launched in Europe. We have now five of them. This is where we collect and consolidate uh, consulting people, security people, cloud people, data people, in order to give a comprehensive solution that they can adopt to address the sovereign challenge. Grazie, Mauro. Grazie. <laughs> Happy to have been with you. 
Mauro Capo, head of Sovereign Cloud for Accenture in Europe, and Paul O'Neill, joining us also from Ireland, working in confidential computing for Intel. Thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, thank you very much. My pleasure. Stay tuned for the next episode of In Technology. Follow at Tom M. Garrison and Camille at Morehart on X to continue the conversation. Thanks for listening. The views and opinions expressed are those of the guests and author and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Intel Corporation. Thank you.